check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome into the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And we got a little bit of news, so we're going to discuss this here. Uh, it, it's always on the fly with the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, this was supposed to be a basketball-centric show, uh, Eric, but literally like 20, 30 minutes before we started rec- uh, recording, um, we were tracking a story, and then it's gotten some legs from a football standpoint, and we kind of just want to have a reaction to it. Um, and before we dive into that, I want to remind you guys that you could subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month. Uh, and you can get all access uh, to Eric, to Kevin, to myself, uh, our wide range of national regional reporters, recruiting scoop, team news, uh, like we're just about to discuss. If you're a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you knew yesterday we posted on the site, on the message board that, hey, uh, there is some traction with Marcel Yates to become Oregon's new defensive uh, backs coach or a defensive coach, we should say. Um, and then Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning, uh, football scoop came out and reported that they are expecting him to be hired. We, we expect him to be hired as well. Uh, we've confirmed that Um it's not done yet. We should preface it there, Eric, that it's not done yet. Maybe some weird hiccup comes in into play, but sure. things are pointing in the direction where Oregon's going to be hiring Marcel Yates. And so we figured, hey, this is a revolving story. It, it, it's it's changing. It's adapting. It's moving towards this direction. Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is an interesting hire. Um, well, let's first – before we analyze it too much, I just want to run through his coaching history. Um, he played at Boise State. He's older than Andy Avalos, though, so there's no overlap in terms of playing together. Um, he might have—I think he was on the same. He was on the staff while Andy Avalos was at Boise State, though, because um, he coached at Boise State from 2003 to 2011 um, as a sec- as a secondary coach, uh, corners, then then just the entire secondary, and then 2012 to 2013 on the same staff with. Tim DeRuder at Texas A&M, then back to Boise State as a full-time defensive coordinator for the first time in 14 and 15, to Arizona for four years as their defensive coordinator um, from 16 to 19, and then last year reunited with DeRuder at, uh, in Berkeley at California as their defensive backs coach. So there's kind of the career arc for Yates, and so you're getting somebody who legitimately has about over half a decade of defensive coordinating experience four of those years in the Pac-12. I will note that I don't think he Yates time as the Wildcats DC is particularly, I don't want to say impressive, but he certainly was not totally up to snuff and they ended up going a different direction following his final season. I think actually it might've been mid season. He was removed. I think, I think actually we were on a podcast with, uh, with Jason Shear from, 
uh, our Arizona affiliate shortly after because Oregon was about to play Arizona after they'd made a change from Yates. I think it happened maybe midseason um, in 2019. But I digress. So this is somebody with incredible experience. And I, I think let's just start with that factor of, of you're bringing in somebody once again, who is kind of overqualified for the position. And that's sort of been the trend with Oregon coaches under Mario Cristobal of, Hey, you bring in Joe Moorhead, somebody who's been a head coach as recently as 2019. You bring in Tim DeRuder as your defensive coordinator, someone who's been a head coach as recently as, as 2016. And you bring in Marcel Yates, somebody who, who's, who's going to be your defensive backs coach, who's been a defensive coordinator as recently as 2019. So again, like from a experience perspective, this is not a we're going for the young up and comer guy. We're go- Oregon has, has elected, I think now three times in the last calendar year, probably yeah, and in four if you include Brian McClendon, who was also a coordinator before coming on as a receivers coach. That's four hires in the last year that have been guys who, um, who had been at who had held higher positions at previous jobs, and even you could include Rod Chance. I know it's a, a level down, but before becoming Oregon's cornerbacks coach. And obviously he was an analyst at Oregon for a while. He was also a defensive coordinator. Um, I'm blanking on the school, but it was at a, a lower, uh, it was a group of I think five. it was Southern Utah. Southern Utah. There you go. Good memory, Matt. So, so I'll, I'll, the point here that I'm trying to make is though, is, is Oregon now has a track record with their, like literally their last five hires of bringing in coaches who had previously held positions higher than the ones that are, that are holding um, at Oregon. And I think that's, never a bad thing in terms of building a staff that can that can really do a lot of uh, a, a lot of things on the field as well as recruit now we're talking about um how did an opening happen how did it get here uh that's because keith hayward um shortly after tim deruder was hired from cal ironically enough oregon's going back to back hires from cal here um and Shortly after DeRuiter was hired, Keith Hayward left uh, to take uh, an assistant coaching position with the Cal Bears, ironically enough. Um, And now Oregon's going back to Cal again to replace the person, to replace Hayward who went to Cal. So I think Oregon and Cal are are going to be um, very, it's going to be some awkward dinner conversations when (laughs) the (laughs) the schools ever got together in one group to, to hang out for a little bit. Uh, That might be a little weird. Uh, There's also overlap in that their head coach played at Oregon. And, uh, and so there's, there's quite, there's actually quite a bit of overlap there. And yeah, you're right. It's kind of intriguing from a Cal Oregon rivalry, maybe takes a step up just because of this, these last couple of off seasons from a coaching perspective. Now you look at this and, from a from a contract standpoint, we don't know. Look, it hasn't been announced yet. We right. expect it will be relatively sooner than later. I mean, we were asked about, I think, the hiring on this podcast earlier in the in in the week for the mailbag. We discussed it at length, saying, "Hey, there's no rush, but it would be surprising if this didn't get done before spring football." We don't have a timeline yet of when. Uh, we expect Marcel Yates to officially be announced, but things are progressing in that direction. That being said now, uh, some interesting facts from just money standpoint, Keith Hayward in 2020 was on the docket for $561,250. That's what Oregon paid him in total pay for the 2020 football season. Marcel Yates's contract was considerably cheaper. 
And interestingly enough, Yates was on Yates was a free agent. His contract ran through January 31st, 2021. So the last 18 days, he's been operating at Cal without a contract. And his base salary for the, for the Bears in 2020 was $250,000, a talent fee of $70,000. So uh, in addition, he, all th- uh, he also had some moving expenses that were given to him of fifteen. dollars So he was roughly in that mid-300 range. Yeah. And this is how he's probably going to get an increase um, in, in pay to come here because he was coaching just one position at Oregon or at Cal. He had had a bigger responsibility of coaching both corners and safeties. Now he's coming to Oregon uh, with the intent probably to just coach safeties. Rod Chance is the um, cornerbacks coach currently. So he's losing a little bit of responsibility and, and, you know, you make that up by paying him a little bit more cost of living is cheaper here in, in Eugene than it is in the Bay area. So that'll help. Uh, but this is how you expand your roster. You find someone that's qualified. You find someone that you feel like uh, can do a good job comparable to what you had previously, if not better. And at the same time, save a little bit of money so you can go out and you can hire a defensive analyst or a recruiting analyst or in, in, in today's age, uh, go out and hire somebody to help you with the name, image, and likeness standpoint within your roster. Um this right. is how you expand that that coaching staff. No, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, Mario Cristobal just got a contract extension or, or, or renegotiated his deal, and he's being paid significantly more than he was previously. I will be curious to see. And one of the things that's been talked about is is his desire to get a larger pool for his assistant coaches. I will be very interested to see when all of this information becomes public just to compare and contrast how much Oregon paid Mario Cristobal and his staff in total from 2019 to 2020 to now into 2021, because this is a huge part. We've talked about this, a huge part of being competitive is how much, what's your, what's your salary pool for your coaches? Because as we discussed when Cristobal was up for the possible Auburn job um, a couple months ago, one of the concerns kind of becomes is if the Pac-12 can't match the other conferences for these assistant coaches, do they kind of become the minor leagues where once a guy passes a certain threshold as an assistant, they just get poached because the Pac-12 can't pay enough? It'll be interesting to see, A, what this staff has paid in, in totality once all of this is finalized, and then to do some comparing and contrasting to what other elite program staffs are in other parts of the country. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I, I guarantee, obviously we know Mario Cristobal is not getting paid elite sec, big 12, big 10 coach money com- in comparison. But I think as a staff, there are going to be, I'm, I'm pretty confident in this. This will be the most highly paid staff Oregon has ever had from a football coaching perspective. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like. It'll be interesting to see, um, what Marcel Yates makes. It'll be interesting to compare that to is he going to be paid more or less than what Keith Hayward made um, in 2019, 2020. And Hayward obviously carried a lot of, carried a lot of additional titles from, um, I think he was like the defensive passing coordinator. I think he was a co-head coach. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all of this comes together. Um, really quickly though, like I think one of the things that's kind of interesting here is, is we now can look at this and say, 
let's just let's just I don't know. Let's analyze this part. Or- Oregon loses Andy Avalos to Boise State. They lose Keith Hayward to Cal, but they bring in Tim DeRuiter and Marcel Yates. Do we think that like if this was just a if this was just a trade, which obviously it's not. I mean, it's, you don't, you can't co- trade coaches. I think in, in the NBA, I think you can trade coaches, but you don't do that in college because there's no trading at all. But like, if this is a straight up trade. Do we think Oregon won the trade between? You know, if you look at this as just like an Ablos Hayward versus a Deruder Yates, um, and I guess like, did did they win it straight up? And then kind of what areas did maybe they upgrade? What areas did they maybe lose some ground? Like. I think it's kind of interesting to think of it from the, I mean, because it's pretty unusual that you, that you, I guess, are kind of can look at it from that perspective, right? Like we can right now. Well, I look at this and think, okay, well, Marcel Yates is someone who has had some success recruiting. Um, he brought in a couple four star guys when he spent some time at Texas AM. And then he, uh, every other stop he's had, whether it's Boise State, Arizona, which came before Cal, or this past season at California, none of those three schools are really programs that recruit four stars on a consistent basis. And look, I don't think we can sit here and say that the defensive coordinator production, the defensive production when Yates was at Arizona was at an all-time high. Um they had some good players there. They had a good season or two, but I think the overwhelming feeling there is, Hey, it's probably average to bad from an overall standpoint. Agreed. Um, but they did have some bright spots here and there. I do think his time at Boise state, they had good defensive backs. They had good defenses. They had good defensive lines. They had good linebackers. They were a team that dominated on defense. And Boise is a program that even to this day, they don't traditionally get the four or five-star recruit. They get the three, they get the two, they take the walk-on, put them on scholarship, turn them into an all-league player. And I think that is also goes to a positive with Yates is that he's he's been at places that don't traditionally recruit really well from a ranking standpoint, but their development is off the charts So Boise state. I know he spent one year at Cal, but Hey, look, the, the toughest defense Oregon faced all year, I think. And the, the, the hardest offensive production year they had game. They had all year came against Cal and Yates is part of that staff. Yeah. I look at this and think maybe Oregon has a, uh slightly downgraded from a recruiting perspective in terms of just the history of these guys. And part of, part of it is, and it's, this is what always makes it tough is it's hard to assess recruiting success when you're at schools that are harder to recruit at. And no, no disrespect to Boise state, Arizona, or Cal has most three recent stops. Those schools aren't Oregon and the caliber of athlete you can recruit to Oregon is just different. I mean, you, you can look at, I mean, look at this way when, when Oregon hired both their basketball coaches Dana Altman and Kelly Graves from smaller schools, the question was, wow, can they recruit at this level? And they've gone out and completely demolished all previous recruiting, you know, hierarchy. Like you look at, you know, the, the 10 best recruits in men's basketball history, like the high majority have been brought in under Dana Altman. Oregon women's basketball has brought in, I think more five-star prospects and about, you know, half a decade under Kelly Graves than they ever did 
under previous coaches. And, you know, you could look at previous recruiting stops and say, wow, that didn't really predict this because the fact is they were at Creighton and they were at Gonzaga, which are, are quality programs, but not the same level of what you can bring into Oregon. So I think the recruiting thing on paper, it looks like Oregon maybe is, is not quite bringing in the same caliber of coach here, especially with like a Yates compared to, compared to a Hayward. Like if you were to go pull up and I think we have a great tool on our on 24 seven sports of um, that shows the recruiting history of these assistant yep. coaches. Matt ran through a little bit of what Marcel Yates did when he was at previous stops. Basically all of his four-star prospects were had at Texas and he did have a big time recruit he brought to Boise state. So that's pretty notable. Um, Keith Hayward on the other hand is, is somebody who, is you know credited at least with being involved in the recruitment of a Kayvon Thibodeau, of a Juju Smith-Schuster, of a bunch of other big-time recruits from USC and his time at Oregon. So um, you know you look at it on paper and you could you would argue, man, like oh maybe we kind of maybe Oregon kind of lost a step here from a recruiting perspective at this position. But you also have to put into account where were they at when they were making these you know these these where were they at when they were recruiting? So because um, Boise State and Arizona are not even to USC and Oregon from a recruiting perspective and even Texas A&M that was 2012-13 that was just before they kind of took their big step and they were kind of in the midst of becoming a, a, a power now you look up and A&M is every year in the top 10 or so recruiting that really wasn't the case in 2012 or 2013 I mean they were pretty good but they weren't quite there so um, but I think from a experience perspective um, Oregon if we're just focusing on the defensive backs part um I think Oregon has clearly upgraded. And if you include the coordinators, yeah, obviously, because you were looking at somebody with Tim Druder who had head coaching experience. He had defensive coordinating experience at a lot of big schools. Andy Avalos had done really well at Oregon. He'd done very well at Boise State. But I think from a if you just kind of objectively match up what they'd done, you'd say Druder probably from just a historical perspective had done more. And you can, again, you can nitpick Marcel Yates' resume. And I said earlier, like, his defenses at Arizona were not near the top of the Pac-12, were never very good. Um, but he's not being brought to Oregon to be the defensive coordinator. No. And Keith Hayward left Oregon in part because he was not able to become a defensive coordinator at Oregon. So I, I look at this and think it's kind of hard to argue that Oregon is losing a step from a just pure coaching perspective. And the recruiting part on paper looks the opposite, but I think time will tell more of the story of, of what Marcel Yates and what Tim DeRuder can provide from a recruiting perspective. And I, I think recruiting rankings, like it's all relative of where from a, a coaching perspective um, in their success rate, I think it's all relative to where you are, what school you are, or you're, you're coaching at. Um, do you have a history of bringing high level recruits in? If it's a no, okay, well, do you have the effort to go out and recruit? Well, like, are you just, are you not signing four and five star players on a regular basis because you are at a school that's not around those types of recruits right. don't have the history that comes with bringing in those level of recruits. And you're at a school that's not consistently winning uh, at, you know, a, a high clip. And, you know, if some of those boxes are checked, but you have the effort, you're going to succeed as a recruiter at Oregon. As long as you put forth the effort and you're genuine about that effort, you're going to succeed. Like a perfect example of that is Ken Wilson, Oregon's inside linebackers coach for the Ducks, and now co-defensive coordinator. 
because prior to his arrival at Oregon, he had never signed a four-star recruit in, in his history, but he had stops at Nevada. He had stops at Washington state. Uh, he had some other smaller school stops and none of those schools are programs that recruit at an incredibly high level. You know, Washington state doesn't sign four and five star guys on a regular basis. You know, most of their class isn't made up of that. They're, most of their class is made up of two and three star guys. And it was his job to find the under recruited player to develop him and get him into a really good defense. And when he was there and to this day, after he's there too, been there, uh, Washington State's defenses are, are typically pretty good. And you you look at though, okay, so what has he done since he's been at Oregon? Since he's he's been at a program that has the reputation that the Ducks have, and he puts forth a genuine effort in recruiting and he's genuine about it. He signed five-star number six player overall in the country, Justin Flo. He assigned five-star number 13 player in the country, Noah Sewell. He signed four-star number four, uh, 114th best overall player, Keith Brown. He's he's landed the verbal commitment in the signing of Jonathan Flo, another four-star. Uh, he's added Jaden Navarrete, another four-star recruit. In the 2022 class, he has Amarion Winston, who's uh, the 27th best outside linebacker in the country. So every four- and five-star player he has signed has come since he's landed at Oregon when he previously had a history of not signing a single four-star or four, five-star player. So – Tying it back to Marcel Yates, like I'm not necessarily concerned that he's not going to be able to recruit at a high level. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm actually the opposite. I think we're going to – when the, this hire gets made official, I think we're going to see over the – however long Marcel Yates is here, as long as he's here for two years, we're going to see the best recruiting run we'll see in his time as a recruiter – at Oregon from a star's perspective. Like I, I think, you know, Oregon will continue to sign the five and four star recruits and Yates is, will we'll be seeing the best run he's ever had as, as a recruiter. It's funny. Cause as you were pulling up Keith Wilson's recruiting history, I was pulling up Alex Mirabal's do the exact same exercise because it, it's very similar. You know, you look at Alex Mirabal, he coached at Marshall, he coached at FIU. Um, you look at the recruits he brought in, they were like two and three star guys. And then just in this last cycle, well, in the last two cycles alone, he's brought in three of the top four rated offensive line recruits in program history right. as, as the primary recruiter, Kingsley, Jonah, Bram, Walden, all three of those guys are right at the top of Oregon's offensive line recruiting records. So then they got Jackson Light and Malasala and Jonah Miller. I mean, in, uh, in, in the last three cycles, he's brought in seven four star offensive linemen. Um, that right there speaks volumes. So again, and, and we don't need to belabor the point by going too much more into detail on just Mirabal, but there, there are very clear examples from an assistant coaching perspective of, Hey, it matters where you are from a recruiting perspective. Alex Mirabal was the second best recruiter in the PAC 12 this last year. You would have been crazy if you would have suggested he would ever reach that level purely based upon what's on paper. Um, prior to when he arrived at Oregon, you would have been like, oh, he's kind of a below average recruiter. Oh, his like literally I just pulled this up. His best recruit he'd pulled in prior to Oregon was Larry Dannon, who was a, who was not even a rated three star recruit at Marshall back um, about a, about eight years ago. So, like, I mean, there's there's no precedence really for this um, type of success. 
And actually, I just pulled up Dannon's profile. He was a two-star based upon 247's uh, recruiting analysis. So, like, this is just – you just can't necessarily pull it up that way and say, or oh, Oregon is, is taking a downgrade here. On paper, it kind of looks like it, but I think you have to give Yates the, the benefit of the doubt. And I think, again, the thing that you I really like about this hire, what I liked about what they've done with the most recent defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator hire, I mentioned the other assistant coaches last year, is you're bringing in coaches who are not necessarily – young and inexperienced you bring in coaches who have done this before and actually done a job better than this before and i think that matters like you could i could see someone listening to this and arguing well uh, aren't they bringing in kind of like coaches who are on the downswing because they've just been let go from those positions like sure you could point that out but the reality also is is that these are coaches who've had experience doing more than what they're doing now and they they, they are not falling off of those you know they're they're not being um, demoted, quote unquote, because of their inability to coach at the position or the job they're doing now at Oregon. Like, there's never been a concern about Marcel Yates as a defensive backs coach. McClendon never had those issues as a receivers coach. You look at what Tim Deruder and what um, Jim Moorhead did as coordinators, and they were undoubtedly really, really good at every stop. And the track record's very impressive. So, I think I point to that, and I point to the fact that, like, yeah, Cal has had some really good really good defensive backs the last couple of years. And I know Yates was just there last year, but that defense is always really good in the secondary. And, and Yates didn't exactly like, it wasn't like they slipped up under his tutelage in one season. So I, I think there's, this is a, I think given the timeline of when this is taking place and kind of given how close this is to spring football, um, you know, that's a little bit, we're like kind of moving outside of the assistant coaching carousel, if you will. Right. Like typically that stuff is happening right around the, the, the February signing day, right at, you know, kind of in the new year, right after all the games are played, you see a lot of the, like considering this is going to be made, you know, kind of mid to late February. I look at this and think this is a pretty darn good hire. You're getting somebody who's been a defensive coordinator for about six years to come in and coach defensive backs and, and somebody who, we should note from a recruiting perspective is going to have ties to the Texas, the city of Texas, which I think is really attractive. And I think another part that I like is that, Hey, he, he's somebody who's got a lot of experience working with Tim DeRuiter. And when you bring in a new defensive coordinator, I think it doesn't hurt at all to have someone on your, on his staff who has some, some real experience working with him in the past. And that's what Yates brings as well as, as what I just mentioned. And we should know, I, you, you touched on it there. He, he's got some history in Texas. He'll be able to help there. That's an area Oregon hasn't really recruited really all that, all that much the last couple of seasons. I mean, they've tried a couple of places. I think most notably Bryce Foster, this past recruiting class. Um, but it's just, it's a, it's a state that they, you know, had a little bit of success in, in the mid two thousands, late, late two thousands, early 2010s. But Towards the end of that cycle, uh, that, that decade, it's kind of fallen off a little bit. We'll see if they can dive in there. But what I really like is this is a West Coast guy. Mm -hmm. And Oregon Oregon has done a, a remarkable job of a couple years ago, it was hitting California really hard. The last couple of seasons, it's been, okay, let's go hard after the, the California guys and try and get as many as we can. But let's also dominate. Let's also dominate Arizona. Let's also dominate Nevada. Let's dominate Utah. Let's dominate Washington. Let's dominate Colorado. Let's 
grab everybody's best player from their surrounding Pac-12 footprint states. And Marcel Yates is a guy who has, what, 15, 20 years of, uh, it's going to be 20 years going into this season where he has experience in every state on the West Coast recruiting. And that's going to help. Yeah, I, I'll be, you know, I think one thing that I will also add to this is I think when you have a head coach who's a recruiter like Mario Cristobal, it makes everyone on the staff's job easier. Yes. And I think that, you know, we talked about Wilson and Mirabal coming in as kind of quote unquote unproven at this level and what they've done. I just would be really surprised if, if Oregon stubs its toe recruiting safeties over the next couple of years or has, uh, uh, you know, it, it really has its impact in the state of California, especially SoCal diminished. I know they're losing some of the top guys, but I think, you know, they've lost their top two SoCal connections in the last two years, Dante Williams um, and then Keith Hayward. I don't expect that they're like, look like USC's on the rise. Yates and I think, from And Yates, we should know Yates is from Los Angeles. It's true. So hopefully this is a, a, an addition that kind of helps, um, helps with that a little bit. And again, I think the fact that he coached in Boise, which, you know, you're in Boise, you're, Boise is an interesting spot. You, you, they recruit the state of Texas pretty hard. Um, he was coaching in Texas at AM as the co-defensive coordinator from 2012 and 13 with the Reuter. Um, Arizona is another spot that's very close to Texas, obviously. You know, I just think that you're getting somebody who's, like you said, touched a lot of the states or in this area. But I also think just that connection to Texas, it'll be interesting to see how much, how much of a role that could have with someone uh, coming in here because the state of Texas is like, look, it's one of the biggest hotbeds you can find in the country. And if you can tap into a little bit more, now you've got Druder and Yates who both have experience coaching there and recruiting there and quite a bit of experience. I, I don't, that doesn't hurt. Let's put it that way. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles podcast. Uh, we're not going to deem this an emergency one, but it's certainly one that needed to get up relevant as this is progressing. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, Eric and I and the staff at DuckTerritory.com, we expect this to be the higher um, things are being finalized from what we're being told. Uh, Football Scoop has gone out and said that they fully expect him to be the head coach or the head coach. The Boy, that would be a breaking, that'd be breaking news. <laughs> that would be breaking news. Uh, so stick with DuckTerritory.com as this plays out. Uh, we get closer and closer to an official announcement, which should come here fairly soon all right until we talk to you on friday or whenever you may listen to us thank you for listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to you later folks i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.